I am from Elevate Aviation. This is Airtime brought to you by Elevate Aviation. It is a webinar series and a podcast series and you can listen to it while you're on the go. And this is gonna be a great conversation that we have today. So first of all, I just wanna remind you, as I always do, if you are looking for a mentor in aviation, or if you want to be a mentor and you're in aviation, please contact us at info at elevateaviation.ca and sign up to be a mentor. The other great thing we have going on right now is our junior jet program. So wherever you are in the world, if you um, want to share that with your kids, you can, but especially if you're a teacher, um, for we, this is for ages five till about grade eight. Um, there's five little modules on there right now, and you can uh, play with them for free, or if you want it instructor led by someone who's in aviation, a pilot, a uh, engineer, um, air traffic controller, whatever that is, you can contact us and we'll uh, lead your class through it uh, for an hour to 90 minutes. So look into that at elevateaviation.ca. It's a great tool for teachers. And uh, it's also fun for the people who are in aviation, they get to talk to the kids about it. So okay, I am going to introduce our panel today and then we're gonna jump in to a, what I know is gonna be a fantastic conversation because every time I talk to these women, we have a fantastic conversation. And these women are from different parts of the world. Uh, we have someone from Africa, someone from the USA, and someone from England. And uh, we're gonna find out what's going on around the world as far as trying to get women into aviation. So I'm gonna read the short version of their bios. Trust me, this is the short version of their bios. Um, so here we go. The first one we have is Ivana Alvarez Marshall. She is a commercial pilot and founder and governor of the African Section 99s. She organized the first, the first international women's pilot conference held on the African continent and in her country, Malawi. The African Section 99s promotes aviation through education. They set up Girls for Wings for Africa, promoting STEM. The African Section 99s partnered with Airbus and together with the Airbus Little Engineer, they are promoting aviation for the youth through STEM, which of course is science, technology, engineering, and math. Her message to other females who aspire to become pilots is never lose sight of your dreams. If you're passionate about what you do with faith, perseverance, and determination, one will achieve anything their heart desires. That is a wonderful message. Ivana, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is absolutely my pleasure. <laughs> introduce Roz, Roz, Rosalind. Uh, oh, Roz Azuzi. Did I did I say it right? You did it perfectly. Yeah. Welcome. Okay. Roz is head of skills and careers at the Royal Aeronautical Society in London leading its outreach skills and employability activities, which cover a number of programs, including cool aeronautics for primary schools, the ALTA mentoring program for women, apprenticeships and endpoint assessment, as well as careers, coaching, advice and guidance for people of all ages. Roz works closely with schools, colleges and universities, as well as with employers from across the aerospace and aviation sectors, and is part of the AGP skills working group. Aviation Industry Skills Board and Aerospace and Airworthiness Apprentice Trailblazer Group. She is passionate about the power of education to change people's lives and ensuring more people from underrepresented groups, particularly girls, can explore the fantastic careers that
that the aviation industry offers to create a more diverse and inclusive workforce. Thank you for joining us here, Roz. What time is it there, Roz? Um, it's about just after uh, 5 p.m. Yeah, so, um, oh no, sorry, 6 p.m. actually. Yeah, so we've moved on an hour. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, um, and last but most certainly not least is Jill Meyer. She has more than 30 years of experience in aviation and aerospace, including eight years of active duty in the US Air Force and more than 20 years supporting program, programs, including the NATO Airborne Warning and Control System, Global Hawk and the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter Jet. She has owned an aviation management consulting business since 2018 and provides her expertise to organizations around the world. One of her most rewarding roles was as a consultant to the Indie Atlantic Films for the production of their award-winning 2019 documentary film, Fly Like a Girl. Jill is also a professional speaker represented by Changemaker Talent with an inspirational presentation called Shifting the Balance, Women in Aviation. So if you are looking for a speaker, please, please, please reach out. Jill, thank you for being here with us as well. Thank you so much. I love it. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And um, whoever's watching, please throw out questions as well. These, these women are all uh, very friendly. <laughs> they are, I think so anyway, no. very, very nice. Um, so if you have any questions about what they're doing in the world, and I'm not asking them, you're a host with me, throw out your questions. So hi ladies. Hello. <laughs> I think to get us started, I have a PowerPoint from something else that we did together. So I thought maybe what I do is bring up that PowerPoint and share my screen. And, um, and you guys can talk through it. And Roz, I believe that your slide is first. So let me, let me hop into it here. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Can you guys see this? Ooh, I yeah. think that's, um, that, yeah, that's me. That's our slide. Okay. Yeah. Roz, so hi, Roz. Thanks for joining us again. And tell, tell us a little bit about you and, and what's going on here with this slide, all the pictures. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Kendra. It's so, I mean, it's always an honour to be with um, these ladies as well, who are amazing, and yourself as well. So I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, just a bit of um, I've been working for the Royal Aeronautical Society, which is a professional body um, which represents and supports people who work right across the aerospace and aviation industry. So that could be engineers, pilots, it could be the legal, the, the space side of the industry, and um, all sorts of different areas. And my role is to help encourage and support people um, to choose a career in our sector. Um, I myself didn't come from an aerospace and aviation background. Um, I kind of fell into the industry um, through various roles that I've had before I joined the society, um, but I just became fascinated by it. Um, and so I sort of started with various programs and we've got a few images from the screen here of some of the things that we've been doing um, to really try and support, as you say, girls in particular, um, but also other um, people with different characteristics that are underrepresented. We have a real diversity problem in our sector so um, we've done some amazing programs and um, with all sorts of volunteers and supporters who come together um, they might be retired from the industry they might still be working um, and we've got a number of programs so for example you can see on this slide one of our biggest achievements was that we had six schools in the UK six high schools build light aircraft kits um, and actually get to fly in them so you've got a picture here of a girl who is seen building the aircraft and then that is her actually sitting in it ready for her first flight in the aircraft. How long does it take to build that do you know? 
it took longer than we hoped. <laughs> it should have taken a couple of years, but it was really difficult to do in a school environment. So probably about two to three years per project, but one has taken a lot longer, one of our more challenging schools. Um, but it's been amazing and it really shows the sort of power of, you know, aviation to change people's lives. All the kids got so much more than just those building skills, you know, their communication, their teamwork, and particularly that kind of safety culture that you have in our industry. That was something that really changed their perspective as well. It was, it was an amazing project. Um, and we worked with Boeing um, and we even won an award and we don't get many awards at the society. We tend to give them out, but we're really proud of that. Um, another picture is how I got to know Jill um, through uh, working with Shastaways who had traveled around the world, um, one of the first female solo flights and we invited um, Shasta to our London HQ. Um, we do a big program to get young children interested we start early we think it's really important to start before those kind of stereotypes of what an engineer or a pilot or you know an air traffic controller might look like um, so we do some amazing events with those people um, and of course we're really focused as I said on really supporting everybody um, in our sector so we have now doing uh, work to support um, the Black Lives Matter movement and we've launched our new Mary Jackson lecture in honour of Mary W. Jackson and um, we had the most amazing speaker um, Mugega from NASA uh, speak at our first event in January and just a couple of weeks later her project landed on Mars and you know she obviously has been really involved in in that mission so um, really trying to show that you know all kinds of people now are succeeding in our sector. Um, we're doing a lot of work to support the LGBT community as well um, but of course you can see a picture this is actually me and my daughter and uh, we did travel last summer by aircraft and um, with our masks on. Um, as we know, our sector really is struggling, um, particularly the civil aviation and aerospace side um, from the pandemic, you know, and the lack of flying. Um, so obviously our focus now is on providing that career support and trying to help people through this difficult time, but knowing that we still have a skills challenge, uh, we still have an aging demographic in terms of the workforce. Um, so we really want to keep young people excited and inspired because, you know, we will come back and we want to come back stronger and much more diverse. Yeah, absolutely. These are great photos. Yeah. yeah so back to the ones, the students that built that airplane. Yeah. <laughs> like, do any of the students get to work from start to end over those years, or is it just one grade and 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 yeah. students sort of get to work a little bit each year? It depended on the school, yeah. So some kids started right from the beginning and went right through. Um, one school, it was more difficult because it took them a lot longer. They didn't have as much support um, in a really difficult, you know, disadvantaged area. So they didn't have as much local support. Um, and that's where we saw sort of waves of pupils coming through. Um, but we managed to keep in touch with all of those pupils throughout the process so that we could try and get them to have a flight in the aircraft when it was ready. So uh, we still got a few to fly. Obviously, we were just about to do our final flights when the pandemic hit. Um, also, British weather and light aircraft, they're not great in the winter. So <laughs> we're quite restricted in when we can fly them. Um, but yes, we've had um, you know real successes. And some of those kids have gone on to work in the industry, um, in STEM careers. Um, others um, are thinking about learning to fly as well, even if it's just as a hobby. Um, so yeah, it was a real challenge. But it was really worthwhile and we really love doing hands-on projects our next one is going to be a flight simulator um, which we want to make accessible for disabled people so we're going to try and ask young people now to 
come up with the solutions, you know, that could actually help uh, disabled people experience the, the thrill of flying as well. So um, there's also an amazing charity in the UK that uh, called Aerability that we're going to work with on that project. So um, we're going to try and keep going, um, but maybe projects that don't take quite as long because it is difficult for schools, especially after all the disruption that they've had, um, especially here in the UK. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, we need to get some schools doing that here. Okay. Definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to talk a whole lot more about this stuff. Next slide. There we go. Ivana, I, there, we have two slides for you, I think. So, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. And it's a great pleasure to share this platform with the other ladies as well. Um, this is a little bit about my background. Um, as you can see, I started flying when I was 18 years old. Uh, I started in a flying school called 43A School in South Africa, Port Alfred. And uh, I ended up then going to the UK after I finished my um, flying school uh, in South Africa. And I was instructing for a bit in the UK at an airport called Redford Gamston Airport. Um, while I was there, I got to do different roles, actually. <laughs> so I was also like operations manager there, a traffic a controller as well. It's more aid to ground, not what you do, Kendra. <laughs> um, and then I also worked in Malaysia, where I worked for the palm oil company and flew for some of the royal family, um, the Sultan of Selangor, Johor and Perak. Uh, Malaysia is one of those really unusual countries which has nine states and nine kings that rotate every five years, but they also have a kingdom king. So that was where I was flying over there. Um, I did quite a bit of event planning as well, organizing um, uh, air shows in the UK. And I put a little picture of now what I'm doing, uh, freelance corporate bush flying in Malawi, working for a bank as well. And I like that picture because it shows our uh, you know, genius way of refueling at times <laughs> in the bush. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you can change it to. Uh, is to this you on top of that airplane in the bottom right? No, that is not me. That was the Breitling wing walkers who came to our air show, the one of the air shows that I um, organized. I wish it was me, but it wasn't. <laughs> Okay, okay, next slide, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, so like you mentioned earlier, we organized the first International Women Pilots Conference in Malawi uh, in 2019. We had 70 women pilots. I had to cap the amount. We were actually gonna have a lot more ladies, but Malawi's infrastructure just didn't allow for having that many women pilots. If you have a lot of, background noise sorry I'm in Rwanda at the moment so in a hotel room and you get all kinds of noise going on out there um, the next picture we've been doing mindfulness in aviation in Africa and I've been trying to campaign for this it's quite a taboo topic here um, but you know it's very very much needed especially in the times of COVID and stuff so yes and we did partner with Airbus Foundation very recently. Um, we've been doing some initiatives, going to the schools and working with Airbus um, to basically encourage STEM in Malawi in the schools, uh, which is also a very, very big part of the education system, which is really needed right now. Um, 
And like I said, I'm in Rwanda, so we're having our conference next year, and I've been here to discuss meetings with the government and try to organize this conference that we plan to do next year. That's pretty much a little bit about what we've been doing. Okay, great. We're gonna we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into some of these things too, uh, you know, including the conference and stuff, but also the mindfulness. And we'll yes. let me introduce Jill. We'll go over her slides, and then um, we're gonna come back and definitely go. Oh, I'm curious what it is and why it's a little controversy, like what it is in relation to um, aviation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Jill, how are you? I'm great, and also thanks for having me and uh, allowing me to join with Ivana and Roz in this, and you who are just a rock star, Kendra. So real quick, um, I got my pilot, for those that don't know me, I got my pilot's license back when I was 17 and went to join the Air Force and they went, yeah, but you're a girl and we don't do that because it was in the 1970s. So I joined the Air Force anyway and became a computer programmer and operations analyst for primarily ground communication and radar systems. Uh, through the Air Force, I was selected to a special program to, I had started college and then quit and joined the Air Force, which I don't bother to recommend anyone start college and quit, but it's just the way my life went back then. Um, so they, they put me through a special program where I was able to get my degree in aerospace, actually astronautical engineering at the University of Texas at Austin and have taken graduate classes with Embry-Riddle but never finished my master's which is still on my to-do list. I hate starting something and not finishing and I also really feel like I haven't learned anything new in a long time so I'm actually um, looking into grad school which is kind of insane at my age but I'm doing it anyway. Yes. Um, so the next slide um, I had put this together again for a specific program that we did with Kendra previously but if you go to the next slide please Kendra um, this is just some of the things I've done in my career. So up at the left, uh, Kendra mentioned the AWACS program, Airborne Warning and Control System. That's a photograph of the US Air Force version of the plane. I actually worked on the NATO version mostly and the UK version a bit. Um, dropping down, I worked on Global Hawk, which is my favorite remotely, as us in the Air Force call it, we don't use the word drone or unmanned because we don't like either term. It's actually remotely piloted. Unmanned is completely wrong. There is a pilot always flying a remotely piloted vehicle. They're just somewhere, you know, regarding Global Hawk, they sit in a hut in a metal building somewhere in a shelter um, far, far away. But I, I, I got to- In the movies, when you see the movies and they're sitting in those huts, is that, that's who flies? Yeah, there's been some great, great accurate representations of, of remotely piloted vehicles in films, absolutely. Um, so I loved working Global Hawk. I actually was at Raytheon at the time in charge of the ground station. So Northrop Grumman builds built the vehicle and I worked for Raytheon and was the manager in charge of the ground station, making sure that it always worked and <laughs> operated the vehicle accurately. Uh, in this center, one of my very first jobs after I left the Air Force was on a little known at the time satellite called Global Positioning System very long time ago, which was super fun to work on. Um, I worked at, I, I, my first, I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and my first time in Albuquerque was 16 years ago when Eclipse Aviation hired me, the photo up on the right. <clears throat> at the time they were building what was going to be the first very light jet, VLJ. Um, the company ended up folding and then they reformed and they just got shut down for the second time, literally about a month ago. But Eclipse, the Eclipse 500 is a twin engine, very light jet that holds comfortably six passengers. 
but it flies at 41,000 feet with the airliners, which is what makes it unusual. It's a phenomenal jet. I have flown it and would love to own one someday. We actually delivered about 270 of them before we shut down the first time. Uh, I'll jump to the bottom for a second, then I'll do the boat. Um, so my last job as a, in the aerospace industry directly as a, as a corporate person was working for Northrop Grumman on the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter Jet, again, built by Lockheed Martin. But I worked on a contract to deliver what was called the CNI system, stands for Communications, Navigation, and, in, and Identification which is really a system the military refers to as IFF, information friend or foe, or identification friend or foe. So long story short, I was one of two managers responsible for building all of the ComNav equipment on the jet. We sent about 45 pieces of hardware to Lockheed Martin for every single aircraft. And it's the, one of the proudest things I've done is work on F-35. It's an incredible, incredible airplane that will eventually replace the F-16, the F-18, um, the, there's a vertical flight version, the F-35 Bravo, that will replace the Harrier, which is the British vertical lift aircraft. Um, and then the reason I put the Zumwalt DDG-1000 ship in this slide is because I'm, I do a lot of mentoring, and, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but I, I like to talk to folks about what's called in the industry transferable skills. So here I was at Raytheon working on Global Hawk, and my boss came to me one day and said, we really need someone to go move to Rhode Island. I was in DC at the time. They said, we need someone to move up to New England and work on the Zumwalt ship. And I'm like, hello, I'm an airplane person. Like, what are you doing? And they said, well, you're a radar expert and we need someone to run the sonar team. So I moved up to Rhode Island and was the manager in charge of delivery and production of four different sonar subsystems on that ship which was an amazing opportunity to work. It's the only stealth destroyer in the Navy. Um, they ended up only building three of them in the end. It's a long political story, but I got to see the Zumwalt actually floating in San Diego Harbor a good 10 years after we finished our deliveries to, to Bath Ironworks who owned the contract to build the ship. So, um, you know, just because you're in aviation doesn't mean you can't work on a really cool Navy ship. So. Um, that's, that's most of the really awesome things that I've worked on in my 40 years in this industry. Wow. Um, you've worked on some pretty cool stuff. I have to say, holy cow. Been super fun. Um, so Jill, the first thing I want to ask you is, um, your consulting business. So you do, you run a, you founded a consulting business now, right? What do you do with, with your consulting business? So I started consulting in 2018, actually, after I finished up uh, supporting Shasta Ways, as Roz mentioned. Um, I ended up uh, randomly, and it's a super long story, I don't think we have time for, but I ended up uh, being the primary person to support, uh, leading, helping lead the ground team to support Shasta's solo flight around the world. And after that, it was just, all, I just couldn't go back to a desk job like nine to five, I just couldn't do it. And a lot of people had told me I should be a consultant because of the range of things I've worked on and the fact that I've worked for big companies and small and all of that. So I started a company in um, March of 2018. It's called Myers Error Consulting. And honestly, what, what I've done differently, I think, than other consultants in, in my industry is that I'm at an age where, you know, you get to a certain age and you just kind of don't care anymore what people think of you. <laughs> 
and I'm definitely to that age. And um, I decided to only work on projects that really, really, really excite me and, and try to kind of change the world. So it doesn't help as far as income goes, but, um, but it's been super fun. So I've done everything from, I'll just give you a few examples. Um, there's a really amazing company in the Bay Area. They used to be called Kitty Hawk. When I had a contract with them, they just got renamed Whisk. W-I-S-K, don't ask me why, Whisk Arrow. But Whisk is building a, try to follow me on this, Whisk is building a two-passenger personal use electrically powered remotely piloted vehicle that is this crazy yellow thing with, I think, 14 rotors on it. Last time I looked at it, um, something like that. But they're building um, this vehicle and they called me and asked me if I would help them basically mentor their system engineering director. So one of my very first contracts in 2019, um, long contracts was I supported WISC and I used to fly up there to the Bay Area and just really help their engineering department do a better job of engineering of the design of this vehicle. So that was one. Um, I also, as you mentioned, which is a really good time to mention it, I was, one of the best things I've ever, ever done is I supported the development of a documentary called Fly Like a Girl. And I, it was actually finished in 2019. It went through all the film festivals. I got to go to the two of the film festival showings, which was unbelievable to see it on the big screen. I actually have film credit as the consultant to the oh, film, which is insane. Insane to see on a big screen. Oh. Um, it's been out on video on demand for a while, but the great, since October, the amazing news is as of like a week ago, two weeks ago, it's available now on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, and I don't think it's available internationally, unfortunately, because um, my sister lives in Berlin, Germany, and was unable to access it in any way she could find. But- um, Jill, Jill. It's yes. on Vimeo. It's on Vimeo. Uh, they, they're selling it on Vimeo. Oh, yeah, you can. I, I found it on Vimeo and I managed to get it on Vimeo. Wow, I'm not sure that's supposed to be, but okay, cool. So it's called Fly Like a Girl. And my, my, role in it, my role in it as a consultant was, and again, I could do a whole hour on this, but um, the woman who created the film's name is Katie McIntyre Wyatt. And she started out as a school teacher and was very frustrated at what she calls the gap between girls and STEM subjects. A lot of what we all you know, try to help with, all four of us. So she lives in Lakeland, Florida. Sun and Fun is right there. She went to Sun and Fun. She saw Patty Wagstaff perform and just had this idea to do a documentary about women in aviation and space. So I talked to her very early in the beginning of the film's development and my role was primarily not just to support Katie as a, as, a, as a filmmaker and human being, because she's amazing and we're super good friends. Um, but I helped get some of my buddies in the film. So Shasta's in the film. Um, I happen to be very fortunate to be friends with Nicole Stott, who's a retired astronaut and aquanaut. Uh, I got Nicole in the film. Uh, one of my um, young millennial friends who flies for an airline, um, Jessica Ortega, I got her in the film. And a couple of people I already know were actually already, already interviewed, but it's a phenomenal film and I hope everyone looks for it um, and tries to see it somehow. If, if anyone watching this wants to watch it and can't get a hold of it, you know, just send me a message. 
Um, and then I have um, a new project I'm working. I have a contract with a local company here that builds a robot that is a fully autonomous disinfecting robot that has a fogging system that kills everything, including COVID at a success rate of 99.9999%. So it's deployed at the Albuquerque airport. And after that was successful, they got a hold of me and said, we don't know anything about aviation. How do we get into other airports? So I'm on contract with them. And then the other thing I'm doing, which I know Kendra, you wanted me to mention is um, I'm on contract with an organization in Botswana, Africa called Dare to Dream that is founded and run by an amazing woman named Komoto Fatsima, who was one of the first women to fly for the Botswana Defense Force for I believe 10 years or so. And she started a nonprofit um, kind of unofficially, I think 11 years ago, and they've, they've now been officially incorporated and all. And Dare to Dream teaches what they call STEAM. So here in the US at least, we've, we all know the acronym STEAM which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. What I love about Captain Fatsima is she adds an E at the end for entrepreneurship. And they also, so her organization teaches kids robotics and aviation and entrepreneurship and business skills. And it's all been within Botswana. So she got a hold of me last year because we're on LinkedIn together. And she asked me to help her um, with the program we're gonna do now in September of 2022 to wait till COVID's behind us and to also make sure we have good weather and all. We're gonna take the program and have a one day workshop in five different countries around Botswana. So we're gonna get a hold of an airplane and I got a company who was offered to find me an aircraft. Hopefully we don't have to pay for it. We're gonna get an airplane, probably a Cessna caravan and fly the team to, um, right now the list is Angola, Namibia, South Africa, Zambia and Zimbabwe and do a one day workshop for 100 girls in each country to teach them all these amazing things and to have inspirational speakers and all of that. So um, I'm working through my consulting firm with, uh, with Komoto to get that program funded, which is our biggest problem as any, any nonprofit organization, the biggest problem is raising money. Funding. Working on that, yeah. 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 Well, that's well, kind of what I'm doing right now, Kendra. It's, I know it's a lot, but it's kind of- Oh, well, put, put your link in, in the uh, chat to your consulting business if you want, and then when it's on Facebook, put wow. it on Facebook. I shall, thank you. And, um, and also uh, that inspired uh, the last panel we were on, we, we had um, these same women and we actually had another lady. Um, that conversation learning about what you were doing in Africa and working with Ivana, um, inspired us to do something as well. So we're gonna talk about that in a minute. I wanna to get to Perry's question first. So Perry's asking, uh, so Perry says, thank you for this most excellent topic. Well, thank you, Perry. And thank you for being with us again, Perry. We just love having you here. Um, without sounding like a typical male, isn't part of the problem getting women into aviation or male dominated careers a societal prejudice? Women, uh, I have been to Europe a number of times and have been to Africa and the thought process of mostly men and mostly over say 50, especially in the rural areas, that boys and girls are encouraged to get into the traditional jobs careers, even though women can do anything men can do and better. And of course the cost of flying is very expensive in Europe compared to Canada in the USA. Uh, and he goes on to say, I also remember the first female bullfighter in Spain uh, was more or less forced out when she was only 27. 
because uh, of the prejudice. So, um, so what do you guys think uh, from Africa and Europe? How how is it? I mean, uh, Ivana, we've spoken about Africa in particular about girls. Absolutely. Well, he's absolutely correct. Um, it's the society, the cultural barriers. Um, there's lack of role models. The costs of um, funding to become a pilot. Uh, you know. They, unlike Europe or the West, where you can get a loan or um, scholarships, uh, it's very rare in Africa to be able to get a loan to go and get a, a pilot license or scholarships. Um, and like I said, the cultural barriers exist. Uh, it's very typical male dominated and the girls usually drop out. Uh, there's sexual violence, there's abuse. Um, they're forced to go and work in the fields even though they want an education, the parents because of poverty will push them into having to go back to working in the fields and stuff. So they drop out. Um, teenage pregnancies, AIDS is a very big thing, especially in Southern Africa, Malawi. Um, so all these factors play a huge role um, and it does affect uh, you know, the, the amount of women or girls that are gonna be joining into the aviation sector. Um, but then this is where we come in with the grassroots programs and STEM initiatives, um, which is what the African Section 99s, of which I am in, the governor and founder of the African Section 99s, is doing to try and encourage, um, you know, more girls into STEM. Um, women in aviation, of course, around the world is very underrepresented, but in Africa, we're like less than 1%. And after COVID, um, our members, we are like 30 members, but out of 30 members, 15 have been made redundant. Um, so that just speaks volumes in itself. So yeah, it's really, really tough. <laughs> that was ever held on the Africa continent that you held. How did that go over? How was it received? Sorry, say again? The conference that you held, that first conference, how was oh, that? Yes. The, the first conference was re great success. Um, it, at first, people were like, what, you're having a conference of women pilots? I mean, we're only like four or six women pilots in Malawi as it is. So when I was going around asking companies for sponsorship and help and assistance, they were all looking at me like, are you sure you're a pilot? Are you sure this is even happening? I think you must be dreaming this. Like, you, you could see this blank look on the faces and they were like, this is not possible. When the ladies actually arrived and we did a flash mob in the center of a car park um, just to really make an impact um, and people started seeing us do this dance and seeing us actually going and having the gala dinner and all the things that we were in the newspapers, um, it was like, oh, this really happened. This really did, it, this, they really are here. These pilots really do exist. Um, so it was really impactful um, and now I'm in Rwanda at the moment trying to do the same. We're having it at a conference next year in October and I'm hoping it'll be a great success. Anybody out there who wants to join who's a female pilot, please do come. We're going to see gorillas, we're going to see do safaris and, and you know, inspire the next generation in Africa. <laughs> Is it open more than pilots or just pilots? It, it can be open to air traffic controllers, engineers, but as long as they're female. <laughs> so especially with Elevate Aviation, you know, your, your um, organization, if there's anybody who's interested who wants to join, the more the merrier. 
Um, I've been speaking to the government and they're very, very, very excited about this. Um, and, you know, we're trying to find some speakers as well who can be key speaker notes uh, at the conference as well. So it's all going very well and they're receiving it with a great, great uh, attitude. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Rwanda is like, has the highest uh, women represented in parliament, 60% of women rep are represented in parliament. And they really, really support women in aviation. It's so interesting today because I've been going to see the civil aviation authorities and the Ministry of Transport. And they said to me, well, you've told us everything and we're not allowed to speak because it's only represented by women. <laughs> So they were really keen to have women and they were trying to explain how really women are, are like taking over in Rwanda. And the president is very, very keen on supporting women. So that was one of the reasons why we chose Rwanda and also they are um, really expanding the aviation industry in a big way. Marcia, hi Marcia Mercedes as well, Ivana, you are doing such good work paving the way and creating needed awareness in such an important work. We're all proud of you and behind you all the way. And uh, thanks Marcia. And um, Ivana, I'm going to come back to you because I want to talk about the project that we're going to be working with you with Elevate and uh, and invite, you know, hopefully people to come in a way that, um, you know, they'll be able to come to Africa as well. But first, I want to get Roz into the conversation. Roz, how about you reference even uh, Perry's question there about getting women into aviation from where you are? Well, it's, it's really frustrating, actually, because, you know, I've been, you know, doing this sort of thing for nearly two decades. It doesn't feel like that. But, um, you know, and I'm not alone. There's so many organisations. I mean, what we do have in Europe is we have, you know, a big aerospace industry. We have, you know, um, you know, UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, you know, huge companies and global projects. And there is a lot of support, you know, for gender balance and to try and address this problem. Um, but it doesn't seem to be working. You know, we're struggling to really get the numbers through. There is change and there is progression. So we're seeing that, you know, um, probably the numbers were around, say, 5% in the sort of technical roles. And they're now coming up to maybe 10 or 12%. Um, flight deck, though, it's still probably 5%. So we're still really struggling um, and trying to understand, you know, what it is that um, is stopping girls from taking an interest in this industry. Industry. Um, you know, in terms of flight careers, we have a huge social mobility problem. You know, it's really expensive here to become a commercial pilot. You know, you really need at least 50,000, if not 100,000 pounds, depending on which route you take, which is prohibitive. Um, and, you know, I think maybe sometimes girls are quite sensible um, and they look at how that money would be found. It's often through their parents and they don't want that to happen, even if they're really enthusiastic. So I think that's an issue sometimes maybe you know um some other people feel you know it's worth that risk you know it's a, a lot of this is about taking a risk isn't it you know when you're going to choose your career you never know how it's going to pan out so I think that's a problem um, but overall we've got probably a role model issue we're really trying to get you know more women are so successful now, there are so many successful women in this industry I mean just look at the people here you know that um, are on this panel you know um, and some perhaps now women feel more uncomfortable you know I think social media um, you know we see a lot of problems about you know trolling and things that I think put women off you know putting themselves forward so it'd be really great to to help you know women feel more confident um, and to find those mentors to support them you know in becoming role models as well because of course people like Jill and um, you know her career is spanning sort of 40 years and um, probably one of the 
only women in many situations um, and you know she's bringing women through and perhaps now those women themselves also need to do the same and to, and that's why we've launched things like our mentoring platform um, you know to, to help women connect because it's hard to find those women and to, to get that support but um, you know we have to keep going and while it is really important to focus on you know all levels of diversity it's still probably the biggest issue I think is that gender divide you know and um, the stereotypical view isn't going away and I do think you know when you look at the film industry it's great to hear about what Jill's been doing with the fly like a girl because you know I mean I'm not sure what the Top Gun 2 is going to be like but I remember Top Gun 1 from my youth very well and it's an amazing film it's really inspirational but it's definitely quite a stereotypical view of the industry um and i think the film catch me if you can i think that's got a lot <laughs> a lot to say it, it, it's a fun film but it does frustrate me i think it gives the impression you know of this all being all about you know guys flying planes and it's you know as you say it's not about this isn't a physical role we're talking about anyone can do this who's got the you know the spatial awareness and the, and the love of flying you know anyone can do this if they really want to but of course we do have to address some of those barriers and for flying we need to find the ways to to overcome the funding which will get worse i think from covid hmm. yeah you know and we hear a lot of times you know girls say i don't want to be a pilot because i don't want to be away from home so yeah, much yeah. but then you look at flight attendants yeah they're always away and you know with them uh, you know kind of like the short haul flights you know you, you you do it in a day you know you get up early in the morning um and you come home in the afternoon um you know and of course you know people don't realize that pilots don't actually fly that much you know a full-time commercial pilot is limited to 900 hours a month it's a dream career when you get there because you've got the best of both worlds you know and actually for balancing your family commitments you know it's really a great opportunity but perhaps we don't say that enough you know maybe that's the problem so we've got to keep finding those those questions and trying to address them as well yeah the other thing if I could step into what, what I do a lot with mentoring is there are so many ways to get paid to fly that are not airlines mm -hmm. um, so if someone is looking for adventure and wanting to be gone all the time um, you know, as you said, Roz, there's definitely, I think here it's, it's days per month is, is in addition to hours limiting on, on commercial pilot flying, but, you know, corporate flying, you know, like Ivana does, you know, corporate pilots, depending on what company you're flying for, you can either be gone all the time or you can be home a lot, you know, but there, there are so many different ways to get paid to fly. Um, and a lot of people just, they just only think of and only know of airlines. So one of the things that I do often is make sure that young young people who are interested in piloting careers really look at all of the different avenues, including military, mm -hmm. and really decide which one is the best fit for them because they all seem to want to jump to airline, which is also, again, extremely expensive to get those ratings. And then starting pay is not as high as, as people think it is. It's better here in the US. It kind of doubled in the last probably five years just because of the pilot shortage, which is massive. <clears throat> and again, anyone listening who, who isn't aware, there was an official, official study done by Boeing um, in 20, they finalized it in 2018. And for commercial piloting, they determined there's going to be a need for something like 760,000 pilots in the next 20, 25 years. And if you look at pilots in the pipeline for training, it, it's nowhere even close to, I think, half of that. So there are companies that are trying to help support the funding issue, although I don't think it's being handled well enough. I mean, you look at the profit, I'll just get on my soapbox for a second. You look at the profits that Boeing and Airbus make, 
or any of the air, well, maybe not the airlines today because of COVID, but, you know, pre-COVID, um, they make so much money. And by the way, Boeing's still making a ton of money. Um, and some of them are offering, they're, they're calling it, you know, incentives to get people trained to be pilots. But all I've seen is them providing, you know, loan, you know, better, better loans with better rates on them. No one's actually handing someone money to learn to fly and paying for the training they're supplementing it or helping with better loan setups. Uh, but if you don't get a scholarship, you're still going to have to come up with that money somehow and then eventually pay it back. And I just think it's a shame that more companies aren't just, you know, calling folks, you know, air airlines are starting to cancel flights because there aren't enough pilots. It's insane. Right before, co right before COVID, before COVID, um, Emirates was canceling flight. Emirates was canceling flights out of Dubai because they didn't have enough pilots, it's nuts. So I really wish corporations that have the funding who need pilots um, would consider actually just setting aside some money and just paying for the training to get people in. All, are, all around the world. We're doing a provincial project here. Uh, we got funding to do this project and we're bringing the aviation industry together here provincially. And we're making pathways to transferable skills were mentioned earlier jill you, may, you know we're going to talk about transferable skills we're going to talk about pathway with pilots and where we recommend funding and where that funding should come from and talking with the flying schools and and like flair and westjet who are companies here in canadian north and you know holistically the alberta aviation companies bringing them together and trying to come up with this pathway and then making those recommendations to the government or, or the companies because something has to happen i mean you know, we know a lot of, of young women, single moms who, who just, that's their passion to do that, but they're never going to do it because they can't afford it. And, um, and they, they fork out all this money for eventually to work for these companies that anyway, we'll see where that goes. Um, before we run out of time, because this hour just flies by mindfulness in aviation, Roz, that was on your slide, right? Um, oh, yeah. It was it was on ours, Ivana. So how is it, how are you linking mindfulness in aviation and why is it so controversial? <laughs> well, in Africa, it's very controversial. <laughs> um, compared to the rest of the world, in Africa, if you have, are sick or you've got any depression or you're having issues, first of all, people don't want to admit and when they do admit, they think that you're either possessed by witchcraft or um, there's something that's happened to you. So the first thing that the person would do is go to a witch doctor and get help from them. And only when that doesn't help, then they'll go and seek proper medical help. So it's a very big controversial topic in Africa. <laughs> and this is one of the reasons why I brought it up because of COVID. I mean, I don't know if you saw my Facebook page a few few weeks back, I did a STEM project in um, Kisungu, which is the north of Malawi. But um, I was really alarmed to hear that like during COVID, like 80% of young girls fell pregnant. That's just in one area. Okay. And um, the statistics are mind blowing because also due to the COVID, people were at home, people were going through depression, and there's no help. There are no proper psychiatric uh, doctors or counseling or things like this in Africa, a lot needs to still be done and put in place, even in the airline industry. 
um, it's like a huge taboo topic to even mention it. So this is the reason why I started the campaign. And um, it was really nice because last year, the Aviation Africa um, safety uh, people invited me to the conference and to talk about the mindfulness in aviation. And what, it, what is really, uh, you know, people don't really grasp and forget that mindfulness is not just about sitting and meditating. There's so many different things involved in the mindfulness process. But one thing I want to tell pilots, which a lot of pilots will be like an aha moment for them. Every pilot has meditated at some point and how. You will see that when you're doing your instrument rating, you, most of the time pilots are sitting in front of a cockpit or an imaginary cockpit and they sit there and they close their eyes and they imagine where the switches are. You see aerobatic pilots doing these maneuvers with their hands, walking the maneuvers they're gonna do. That is a form of movement meditation. There is that meditation and pilots don't click it or, or con, you know, realize that it is meditation that they're doing. Um, and it helps them in the instrument flying, in the instrument training. So, you know, pilots do do meditation, they just didn't realize it. <laughs> and it's a form of meditation. When you so, say pregnant, you're pregnant, there? Say it again, please, Kendra, it breaks up. Um, when you're talking about the young girls being pregnant, do you have an age range that you're talking about when you're saying that 80% are pregnant? They're from 12-year-olds to 16-year-olds. Malawi does have a law that 18-year-olds, you know, is the law to be to get married. But yeah, it's it's very young. It's it's very, very, very young. Wow. It's well, you, Jill, when you travel around and do your STEM initiatives to those different cities there, maybe mindfulness will be a, a portion of, of that conversation. Yeah. Eh? And, and it happened even in Uganda, quite a, even in Botswana, the same thing was happening in Botswana, Zimbabwe, Uganda, all the African countries during COVID saw really huge, massive spikes in teenage pregnancies um, because of sexual violence. Um, mainly that would be one of the biggest reasons was sexual violence and nobody to turn to, nowhere to go because of lockdowns um, and they were being forced to be in those environments. So that is a really huge um, thing that needs to be addressed. But like I say, um, you know, there's no outlets, there's no proper doctors or qualified people to help in these situations. And it's not just Malawi. It's if you speak to other pilots, other people in Africa, they will tell you. I know that um, the World Health Organization is trying to do a lot to change that and try and put the implementations in place. But it's going to take time. And um, it's still a very big taboo topic. We need to change that. So Ivana, left, I want to do a before we go, but before I do that, can you just mention just quickly sort of what we're planning, what we're talking about doing down in Africa together? Yes, well, after we did the last um, topic and, and chat with Ayawa, um, Kendra so kindly contacted me and said they wanted to do an initiative with us and partner with us and see what we could do in Malawi and how could we promote STEM in Malawi and they wanted to build a school. So I did quite a bit of research and we've been trying to look at different avenues and I have found somebody who's very interested to sort of um, help us and partner with us. She's an elderly lady who's got some land 
who doesn't quite have any other people to help her, but she's got a vocational center where they teach kids who've dropped out or are still going to school in sewing and agriculture and cooking. And when I told her what we want to do, she's very excited. Um, so we're planning to build a school. Well, not really a school because I'm trying to stay away from all the legislations, but it'll be more an aviation center where we will build an aviation center, but also build a couple of rooms, ensuite rooms and a little kitchenette and dining area for um, the ladies from Canada to come and uh, do like some months with us and teach classes and STEM and do an exchange with the West and the, the East kind of thing. <laughs> so it'll be great. Awesome. Um, that's pretty much what we're wanting to do. <laughs> yeah, so you know what, uh, Roz, I mean, you guys want to get involved and uh, anyone who's watching, if you want to get involved or know someone that wants to get involved, whether to come and help build or support it financially or whatever, like, please get in contact with us. Um, and, and, you know, we love that. Yeah, and any organizations that want to work with us together, uh, we can do that. So we're almost at a time. So I just want to, I want to go, Roz, um, just, you know, when we get together, we don't know each other that long, the, the, the whole panel of us together. Uh, I don't anyway. Um, but every time we've gotten together, the very first time we got together, our introductions took the entire, I think, two hours. And so we had to have another <laughs> meeting just to talk about what we were going to talk about. Um, and so, again, like we could talk. There's, I, I didn't even get to the questions that I, I have written down here. But um, Roz, to wrap up uh, this part of our conversation, we might have to have a part two. What what do you see needs to be done, whether whether in, in England or in the world? What needs to be done for us, for us to get to where we would feel happy in aviation? Well, I think this is also important about these conversations. It's about the collaboration, isn't it? You know, we need to work together. Um, there's so many great initiatives, but, you know, there is a lack of coordination and we're really all aiming for the same goals. You know, we really want to make a difference. You know, obviously the work in Africa Africa comes with many other, you know, really serious, you know, um, problems that need to be resolved. Um, here in the UK, despite, you know, not having perhaps that severity, we've definitely seen, for example, that women and girls have suffered a lot during the pandemic, you know, in terms of um, losing their jobs, um, domestic violence, you know, um, probably the lack of STEM education as well over the last year, we've really seen that struggle. So it's about us working to support each other. Um, our, our sector, you know, doesn't have the resources it had but pre-pandemic so we haven't got the same maybe competitive nature that was there before sometimes I think there were some clashes particularly as you say when you're dealing with them um, sponsors you know and not wanting to work together um, but we really need to come together because we're an incredible force when we do um, and we'll be greater than the sum of our parts so I think if we can all agree to support each other because those messages are inspiring and you know we've, we've got other challenges you know once we've got through the pandemic um, we've got the green and the sustainability you know there are especially I think with girls they're looking at this industry saying would that be for me isn't that the industry causing global warming you know so we really also need to think about how do we how do we work together because we need those people we need those people to come up with solutions because we want to keep flying but we obviously need to to, to to create a whole technological change as well so I think it's about working together and really supporting each other um, because you know that that's how you get the changes people you know and, uh, and and people inspire people so it creates hopefully a long chain of, of, of reactions yeah you know I just uh, had a question 
Sorry, somebody uh, just put a question saying, why don't airlines sponsor? In Africa, it's really difficult for airlines to sponsor because it's a lot of instability right now, especially after COVID. But even before that, very few airlines in Africa have a cadetship program where they would sponsor because of the costs involved and the instability of airlines in Africa. So that's from an African point of view. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> well, yeah, my, my comment on that is the current prediction of when most airlines around the world, when the industry as a whole will get back to pre-COVID numbers of passengers and flights, I'm now seeing earliest is gonna be 2024. So part of the challenge is, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I wish airlines would do more to help with this funding issue for training, but now that they are so impacted by COVID, it's gonna be even longer before they have any excess funds to do anything like that. So that kind of help I think is gonna be, you know, two to three to four years away now, sadly. Yeah. We lost our sponsorships after the after 9-11, they just went, you know, and it was a real shame because there was definitely in terms of social mobility, you know, and I think talent as well, you know, it, it, it was so important, um, but we can't, you know, we have the odd airline, you know, um, I think Aer Lingus were, were doing sponsored schemes before and EasyJet had done some for, for women, but we really struggle with that. And I think it's, um, we've been trying to develop a pilot apprenticeship because we have a whole apprenticeship program in the UK. So we have tried to do that as well here. Um, but again, with the pandemic that again is on hold, but I think it's also about governments, you know, um, the, the loan system is all privately funded and obviously students in the UK can access student loans through the government and I think that would also help you know if governments are part of this you know coming together because you know we, we do need the right talent you know it is about safety and it is about talent um, it shouldn't be about money so I think that that you know they need to support the industry and hopefully you know it can help drive the diversity and the sort of sustainability as well that funding could come with some of those criteria and we would get a win all round you know so I think it's really important that that everyone understands how difficult this is and yes airlines obviously now it's not going to be the right time um, at all but you know we we can't live like this forever we have to make a difference yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I think the challenge that all of us have with all the various efforts, you know, a lot of it unfortunately comes down to funding. And, you know, what yeah. I've been trying to do with the couple of things I'm involved in is, is try to really think out of the box as to what kind of individuals and or organizations do have money, you know, whether they seem aviation centric or not. So I think a lot of it's just the creativity to try to find people who are passionate about girls in STEM and then maybe add the you know the aviation component to to them so that's what you know for the project in africa that i'm working on that's what i'm trying to do is find people who aren't in aviation at all but who are known to want to promote equality diversity and women in stem so you know if everyone can help think of those kind of alternate paths maybe we can all find find stuff somewhere Right. I mean, when we build women up and they become, you know, good contributors to society, um, that changes a lot of industries, not just aviation. And that's a message we definitely have to get to other people to help support us and, and help create um, a change. And, uh, you know, especially not especially, but certainly in Africa as well. When um, we're talking about what's going on there and it's it's just it's just incredible to see this worldview of the issues and that that the issue 
is all around the world uh, at different levels around the world, but definitely. So, you know what, ladies, thank you for being here. I know, give us a couple more hours and a glass of wine and we can solve all these problems. You know that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We'll get together again and we'll do that. Thank you guys for being here so much. I appreciate your time. I love you guys. I just can't wait to get together someday in person. And um, and and we're gonna need we're gonna need at least a weekend. Yeah. And don't forget to come to Rwanda if you can make it. <laughs> when is that again? When's the date of that? October 14th to 22nd October 2022. 2022 October is the conference. So it's it's next year. Try Jill, you're gonna be in Africa. Try and extend it a bit and come and plan it so it comes to Africa, to Rwanda. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. That's yeah. a deal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, um, ladies, everything, you know, um, Jill, the project that you're working on over there, it, there's an invitation for people to uh, be part of or anything, Yvonne, uh, Ivana or Roz, if you guys have something you want us to help promote, uh, send it to us as well, and, and we'll promote it, and, and uh, like Roz, like you said, we work together uh, for the same goal, and to try to help, help, you know, help the girls in the world, and that's what we're all trying to do. Um, you guys are amazing. Thank you. you. So are you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Thank you for bringing us together again. Thank you, everyone. It's amazing. Everyone who's listening. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll see you guys again soon. And uh, take care. Have a great day or evening, depending on where you are in the world. (laughs) Okay. Bye, guys.